what conditions I haven't seen you in so long. It just feels like a long time because we are so used to seeing each other and I talking know. every day. How was Vermont? The homeland of Bernie Sanders. It was beautiful. The motherland. It's the kind of place it's like, oh man, I could really see myself here, but really hard to get from place to place. I would definitely kill myself really quickly if I was this isolated. Oh no. Yeah, because you said they didn't have Uber where you were, right? Yeah. That's yeah. horrifying. It's rough. Yeah, I'm um, going home to Wyoming in December, and I checked to make sure they had Uber, and apparently they do, but it's probably like two people in vans, so et cetera. So we're going to, first of all, this will probably be a longer lag, and we're maybe going to take a bit of a hiatus or at least a lopping off of usual length because I am going on my honeymoon next week. Your very belated honeymoon. My very belated honeymoon. To Australia. Save up some money. And it'll be hard for Brooke and I to get to the studio at the same time. So we're going to release two episodes. In the first episode, we're going to talk about some newsy stuff. And then in the second episode, we are going to answer some questions that you guys asked on debate night. And you asked us questions. You guys know. About the candidates and policies and just some political stuff in general. So we want to get to those. some public interest stuff about like... Between Paul Newman and Robert Redford, who wants to pork whom of the hypothetical hmm. candidates in their bedrooms? <laughs> um, I got asked what my favorite soup was, so that's, that's weird. obviously very important. Tomato, tomato guys. Wow, you really knew that. Yeah. You were ready Top of my head. to go. That's great. Uh, that seems like a patriotic kind of I mean, group to slurp on. To be fair, I... I like it because I can dunk grilled cheese into it. My cousin's wedding had little grilled cheese shooters in That's a great idea. tomato soup. But I I am going to betray myself and say I don't get soup as a concept. I don't want mushy food I can slurp on. So I did not you don't understand. Mackenzie Brennan doesn't understand don't soup get as it. a concept. Don't get it. I don't want to drink my food until I am devoid of teeth. So I did not off the top of three of the grilled cheese shooters and just give the soggy under bits to my husband. And he seemed to enjoy it. <laughs> So that's good. Ethan's <laughs> just like, sure. Yeah, I like this. I'll take your leftover soup. Uh, this is his life. By the way. What? <laughs> this is exceedingly persuasive. I am Brooke Rogers. Yeah, you are. I'm Mackenzie Brennan. Um, and I do want to clarify that when we said the first mini-sode is going to be newsy related, we mean like small end newsies, not like, oh, gee, sir, extreme. Are you trying to do the, the, the accent of a, a newsy know. boy who I sells got, newspapers in the 1930s? I got confused with Oliver Twist because the hats are the same and extra, extra. That You're thinking that kind of newsy. That's the one. You're thinking, what is it, Ewan McGregor? Was he the I newsy don't know, boy? No. But we're not going to do that, so it doesn't really matter that I can't do the voice and I can't fully nail down the concept. <laughs> it's so, doesn't understand soup, doesn't understand newsies. I don't get newsies. anything. Where have I been? <laughs> uh, all right, so speaking of people who like soup... You coastal elites. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, impeachment. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I did want to say that I listened to Brooke on Top Hat. Oh, yes. I was on Top was Hat on with our friend Ben. Abe Lincoln's Top Hat last week. 
Yes. The talking episode about, came out last week. Yeah, talking about her Monica Lewinsky article, and it was great. You guys should all check it out. We're hoping that Ben will come on to our show soon. I'm hoping that he'll talk to us about being friends with people with different political views and how there is kind of a sliding scale between Ellen befriending a war criminal and having a civil discussion with somebody who disagrees with you. Yeah. So, because I There's think ground. all three of us sometimes disagree on certain things, mm-hmm. and yet, miraculously... Or still friends. We can still but hang also out. Yeah. none of us orchestrated mass murder. So there is that you know, we know of. I, well, that's true. But somebody <laughs> at least is doing a great job of hiding it, which you got to give credit to that. You do. So. That's that's very cunning. Uh, so yeah, we're thinking there's some travel. Obviously, Kenzie's going to be out of the country. Oh yeah, for about two weeks, and I think Ben has some tour dates coming up. And then we're going to have weddings and stuff. So people we're going to birthing. People are moving around. People, people are, are marrying, and it's really like an Alanis Morissette song up in here. So. <laughs> we're going to have him on as soon as possible, as soon as we're all in the same city at the same time and can figure that out. Indeed. Indeed. And with that, we'll get back to the soup men of our... The soup men who are running our country. <laughs> it's so unanimous that the men who run our country are definitely soup men, whatever the fuck that means. Um, So we're going to do impeachment first, yeah? Yep. So my biggest thought with impeachment... When Brooke and I were plotting after being away from each other for what felt like a lifetime. Forever. I was singing. My heart will go on. And seeing your face in so long. It was really painful. I texted Brooke about familial strife and realized our last text was like 12 hours prior. Wow, that that's really dark that I haven't texted you in 12 hours. I need to share I, I everything think, that's going on in my life. I don't think people understand that we text each other Constant do- dozens contact. and dozens of times per day because we're just constantly up on each other's everything. And so. there's a lot of shit going on in America. And the one thing that did not come up and that really checking back in and planning this episode, mm. there was not a lot to update on, is the impeachment proceeding, which is still ongoing. But they're, they're holding a lot of secret hearings. It's all really private. And... I'm sure there's a strategic basis for it, but I'm starting to wonder if it is wise, regardless of what the justification is. I think part of it is because they want to keep it out of Republicans' hands for them to spin it or Mm. suppress certain details, things like that. Like honestly, I don't mind keeping it out of the political theater. But the only difficulty is that I think the Mueller investigation being so drawn out and so meticulously done in private the lack of political theater was kind of why people didn't care. Yeah, that's true. And so I'm starting to worry that this is going to peter out like every other of the like hundreds of scandals that have come up with Trump. Um, and then people will start saying, oh, move on already. It's not going to happen. And it'll just become like Mueller again. The one thing that I will say that <laughs> will uh, go against that, people not caring, is Trump's own administration. Because <laughs> as we know, over the past week, Trump's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Uh, Brooke, he is not chief of staff. He is. Acting chief Acting of staff. Chief. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were talking about this before, but uh, when asked um, when asked about the... The same thing that they should have a consistent talking point on, which right, is, was which there is, a quid pro was quo? Was there a quid pro quo? Over the past week, in front of the press... I think, Mick, was it on Axios? Let me make it like that, actually. So it's essentially like, was there a quid pro quo with military funds to Ukraine, this country that desperately needed military that our government had authorized funding? Was there a quid pro quo, as is the basis for the impeachment that is now like a month old, between the president and his political interests privately withholding military funding? And he basically said, yes, there was a quid pro quo. 
and and affirmed that. And, and then, then he went said back. that happens all the time in foreign policy, which not really in private to investigate a political rival for political gain without involving the State Department or the Justice Department or the public. And he later went back and said he didn't say that. And that wasn't what he meant. After Trump walked it back and was like, no, that's not a thing. That's not what happened. But just to <laughs> your point, there's a, I'm quoting this Politico article. One Senate Republican noted that, quote unquote, acting has remained <laughs> next to Mulvaney's name for nearly a year. Bitch, this is why. Quote, and there's a reason for that. Honestly. <laughs> and yet you look at the caliber of those who surround him. That can't be the reason. But it certainly would be a reason for me to fight back if I were. I can't remember the exact number, but so many of Trump's administration staff oh, yeah. are acting right now. Uh, to the point that he can't even remember their names. I He misstated his secretary of something. Um, he called him Esperanto, and it's Esper. It's Mark Esper. Oh, my God. And he called God. him Mark Esperanto. So it was... <laughs> Let me actually see if I can find this exact... Hold on. Oh, yeah, and then in that, so I think that same week, Mick Mulvaney mentioned during a Fox News Sunday interview. Okay. He also told everybody about Trump's original decision to hold the next G7 summit at his resort oh, in yeah. Durrell. Which we will get to. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But that was the same week. At one point, he said that there was a quid pro quo between Trump and Ukraine. And then he admitted that the G7 summit would be held at Durrell. Yeah. In the same week. So, uh, honestly... Between the three topics that we're going to cover today, mostly an update, it's like they're trying to, as a way to distract from the impeachment thing, which, you know, I don't want to say isn't going to work until the party's over, because honestly, it may work, uh, given how distracted I feel from any progress in the impeachment inquiry. But it's like they're trying to outdo themselves with substance that is worse than the subject of the impeachment inquiry, because they have, no, we're definitely going to toy with violating the emoluments clause and have the G7 Mm. summit at Doral, which we'd floated before, and now we're just going to sink our teeth in, which ultimately was walked back. And then the other thing being, previously, like two weeks ago, the drawing the U.S. troops out of areas occupied by the Kurds and abandoning the Kurds, which was another almost consensus across party lines of, this is a terrible idea, what are you doing? Which has forced him to walk back in less concrete ways than Doral, but... It's just, you know, for something that his, a country that's been so politically polarized, for there to be relative consensus on the two things that he's done really abruptly to distract from impeachment, it's a weird... Well, he's flailing. Honestly, it feels like he's flailing and he has no idea what his next step should be. I guess. So he's just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's what I feel like when I'm watching this. The thing that always throws me is I thought he was flailing before. You know, it's it's crazy. Oh, you haven't even seen flailing yet, Mackenzie. My lord, I this is something that came up, and I'm quoting, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted out the official letter from our head of state, <laughs> president of the United States, commander in chief to Erdogan after pulling yes. U.S. support from the Kurds in northern Syria, and the the tweet substance was, "It's amazing that he can still surprise us with how." absolutely dumb he is and then and i so was shocked just to what? just to talk a little about the substance of the letter he basically said 
he was talking directly to Erdogan and was like, don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. You, you need to do the right thing here. If you do the wrong thing, everyone's going to get up in arms about it. That's then, almost too eloquent, Brooke. I know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but at the end she of it. She can't help but add her own tone to it. <laughs> my favorite part was at the very end, the last line was, I will call you later. <laughs> Which, I'll call you later, Mom. Bye. <laughs> I'll call you later. It's just the weirdest way to end a letter. I don't know why, but that's the part that hit me. I will call you later. It seems like such a high school interplay, and I can't help but think of saying that to a parent. Like, you get out of your dad's car, and you're like, whatever, Dad, I don't even care. I'll call you later, Dad. Bye. Don't be a tough guy, Dad. Yeah. Call you later. Love you. See you later. See you later. Bye. I, yeah, so I think we can move on to... Are we going to Kurds or emoluments next? Emoluments. So, let's, so okay. let's let's dig a little bit deeper into this emolument stuff because we talked about this before on episode 13. Yes, yeah, so we do want to refer everyone back. Self-immolation, but spelled is like the, emoluments. It's is, the, that is the name of the, is the name of the episode. Yeah. And Kenzie really breaks into the emoluments clause and, and yeah. how Trump has violated it in, and this and, being in one other of ways. The contemplated violations that at the time was hypothetical, the Doral having the next G7... Uh, summit at Doral. Because he'd mentioned that before, yeah. that, that he was considering it. Which really was only one of a number of things. So it's kind of funny that now that he's under some new resolution of microscope almost yeah. that now there's more consensus for each of these actions but this is far from the first violation and it's far from the most clean-cut violation in, in my thinking. There's an ongoing lawsuit that was actually revived two days before <laughs> Mulvaney said that Trump yeah. was actually going to hold the summit at his Florida property. Yeah well. another s- totally separate contemplated violation of the emoluments clause and if you listen to episode 13 we go into it a little bit that We're in such tricky territory because no past president has ever gotten close to violating the emoluments clause. Jimmy Carter put his peanut farm in a blind trust. Beautiful man. He did not do that so we could do this now. Yeah. Yeah. And this poor man who just like two weeks ago was seen building a habitat for humanity's house with with a hammer and nail. After having fallen down with a big black eye and stitches across his head, like in his 90s building a house for people. He also just celebrated an anniversary with his wife who's like 92. I think he's like 94 and they've been together since they were like 18 and 20 or something like that. This and is... it's the most precious thing. I've said this before on Twitter but he is the Mr. Rogers of presidents. I think that's really apt and I have to say that when I got married I'm not into the garter tossing tradition because I think Oh, it's, you don't Yeah, you don't like just sitting no. in a room full of people while your and husband like, digs around. You now for your own garter. my sexuality. Now throw it to people. Now throw it to your male friends. Yay. So, no, I hate that tradition and I did not throw my garter, but I was shopping for wedding accessories and uh do you know Jimmy Carter's wife's name? Rosalind Carter? Yes, that's correct. So I was shopping for wedding accessories, and I found a garter called the Rosalind Garter. Oh, my God. And I was like, well, now I'm wearing a wedding garter. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just keep it. And it wasn't like a joke site. It was on BHLDN, that anthropology beholden. They probably didn't even realize they were making a reference. They're like, this is the Rosalind Garter. I was so (laughs) delighted. I was... (laughs) Ma'am. But anyways, yes, we love Jimmy Carter, and he didn't violate the emoluments clause. In fact, no president in the past has approached it. It's never really come up, especially with the executive agent, with the Mm -hmm. president, before the Supreme Court. So we have no map to navigate this, and courts have been trying to figure out who has standing, who has uh, an immediate and personal injury enough to be able to challenge 
the president's violation of such a, a fundamental constitutional provision. It's in Article 1, Section 9 is one of the two clauses. The, because you have to prove that you your rights were directly violated by Yeah, and that it's action. not contemplated harm, but that something is either directly impending or it already has happened to you. And it's got to be a more direct injury than I'm a taxpayer and everybody in the country's hurt when the Constitution is, is violated, which is a fair statement to make, but that's not enough for standing. And, and that's been held because it just is not practical. And it would gum up the court systems if every single person in the United States had standing for a constitutional violation. It would be absurd. Um, right. So it's basically a way to keep order yeah, in the system. Yeah, right. And I think it it's fine. Usually there is a more direct injured party, whether it be collective, like a state or city government, or a nonprofit, or an individual. Usually somebody fills that role, but now, especially given how politicized the courts are with a lot of political appointees and just the general climate, and such an uncharted path, it's been very difficult to find parties who can challenge it. And then the court systems, they're typically slow in general. Something on an appeal, it is far from uncommon for it to take over four years to get through an appeals process. And the lawsuit that we're referring to that was just revived is the Maryland DC v. Trump lawsuit. So this is states as plaintiffs, and there's been a bit of an issue, and I guess it was now revived. Initially, the circuit court had said that these states do not have standing to challenge the president. They so. couldn't prove harm. And then the fourth yeah, circuit like, said they wanted to rehear it. So, And the second circuit a couple weeks ago, and again, I think we went through this in episode 14 then because shortly after our first emoluments episode, they revived uh, the second of three suits, which was... Uh, I think it was Holiday Inn. I right? think I was being tongue-in-cheek, but it was like a hospitality group. <laughs> it, was, it, was yeah. like, it was an organization of hotels, and then there was also a citizen watchdog group, mm. nonprofit sort of I know there avoiding were, corruption in politics. There were Democratic senators who had and filed And that's the third one. I'm not sure the status of that one, because technically it's their right to approve funding and approve gifts to the executive office. And so given that they are the workaround for a president to receive quote-unquote emoluments or gifts of any kind and they have to approve that they were like stripped of their constitutional authority mm -hmm. there was a bit of an argument to be made there that they were injured quote-unquote because they didn't get to do their piece of the approving so. right yeah I, I don't i don't know where that is at i don't either actually. um and all There's these so are, many to keep track i know <laughs> and it's it's really in flux with this one that he was going to host the G7 summit, which, to recap something that will be repetitive if you listen to the old one, but the G7 is a meeting of the world leaders, Group of Seven, the economic developed world powers, uh, now sans Russia, after they annexed the Crimea. We kicked them yeah, out. You can't just go around annexing which, the again, Crimea. Ukraine, everything comes together because that was about them annexing Ukraine, which will connect to the impeachment. Oh, my God. So typically this is something that a country can show off their own economic prowess and also so that everybody can feel comfortable. Usually each nation has its own hotel and they're the finest of the fine. They're the best in the world. Um, so even without the emoluments violation of making your own little baby cash cow that is also a failing cash cow, a cashless cow that was 
infested with bed bugs in recent years and has had falling well, revenue. Yeah, there were reports that it was infested with bed bugs. We're not really sure about the stance of that, but it, there were I, reports. I feel confident. People are saying a girl can dream. A girl can dream with bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so it certainly was, and it's one hotel. So it's it's far from being sufficient or or comparable to what other countries have used to host. And it's not like our nation does not have like 10 cities that could actually offer that. No, let's send, let's send them to Florida. Like Great idea. one resort in Florida that happens to be, oh, geez, who owns it? Oh, man, I guess it's me, the president. So at a press conference, he's in front of a pool. So he's huh? in front of a press pool today. I pictured for a second, like, a pool pool. Like he was a swimming just standing pool. by a pool at the Durrell, actually. Somehow that fit more. <laughs> uh, he was talking to a press pool, and he said, these are quotes on the G7 summit and his decision to uh, briefly hold it there and then not. He's, these are the quotes. I own property in Florida. Yay. I don't need promotion. I don't need promotion. It would have been the best G7 ever. My favorite. You people with this phony emoluments clause. And the last one. If you're rich, it doesn't matter. We don't know what any of those mean. Okay, that those was are just, just a stream of consciousness from somebody who obviously just this found is out literally this from, was a bad idea. I got this from an Eli Stokel's tweet. He <sighs> is a White House reporter for LA Times, and he was just like tweeting these out as they happened. But I love the you people with this phony emoluments clause. Like he's when never heard of it that, before. I, w- I it's and honestly, Brian Schatz, who I believe is a representative from Hawaii who has a really entertaining Twitter, um, he said, my instinct is, and I'm not kidding, that someone just explained the emoluments clause to him possibly for the first time. And I feel that so much with Trump, but it's like, why now? Why, if he's willing to listen at all, if there's any reason, if there's any room for explanation, why is this the first time that it's happening? What? I don't know. Because you and I, as plebes, who have no federal government involvement, we talked about it like a month ago. Yeah. To be fair, I started <laughs> learning about this because I realized the ways in which he was violating it and yeah. it started being talked about. But it seems like if you get Crazy. that high in, in governance, you should know this. Someone should have told you this before can you went into office. Can link him to our pod? No, he'll be a little upset, I think. Yeah, we don't want that. We can make no a special one. edited version for him. No one link it. Idiot proof. I'll just explain very blandly, but yeah. I won't listen. Never mind. It's not going to work. It reminds Roll me it back. not to be the basic person who likes The Office, because apparently that's like a thing now that you're not edgy enough if you like The Office. Um, but there was that episode where somebody is explaining a surplus to Michael Scott. He's like, explain it to me like I'm three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he walks out, the episode where he walks out, he's like, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> I think that The Office is like the white claw shows. Everyone likes it because it's good, but it's also basic. Right. And those, it can be two things. It can be very basic and also really funny. It's kind of like Beatles hatred, which I'll I'll be honest, I'm attached to the Beatles. They were one of the first bands that I listened to. Um, it's wholesome. What it's a heartwarming. hipster. <laughs> but it's the inverse of that now, right? Like if you actually like the Beatles and you're not like, controversial take, uh, Radiohead is better. Hmm controversial take like radiohead is better you know what i think i like the gd beatles and you know what while i'm One at it i like is better than the beatles i like That's the monkeys take. So, you like the monkeys too damn Just, you know when when the hipster revolution comes they're coming for your head first they are tom york himself in their in their jumpsuits and their like felicity huffman barrettes. in prison yeah yeah um, so that's emoluments crash course. I Mick Mulvaney again 
had this like grossly feigned heart heartfelt appearance talking about why Trump walked it back and he's like I honestly don't think he I think he was surprised by how stringent the backlash was and at the end of the day he's he still feels like he's in the hospitality business and he wanted them to have the absolute best it's like this place is a hole (laughs) and the revenue has been falling since 2017 (laughs) and hospitality is not a word I would pair with Trump so I'm just going to quietly sip my kombucha. Not, it's fine. Not comment on any of that. This is why he's acting. And yet somehow he's had the most coherent. At least acting. I can follow the the thread of his consciousness. I mean, yeah, I just I guess that I mean, he's probably going to be out soon. He's going to resign. Rick Perry just resigned because I Trump thought he already did. I thought he did when we talked about it last. Or was, was that he, was just the, a tossing under? The bus, and then it no, was like I think a labor. No, last couple of days that he I, Yeah, because I heard that headline too, and I was like, man, I thought that happened already. Who cares about Rick Perry, really? I mean, I don't I know. I said him. it then, and now I will really say it with more gusto. I hope that this, finally, is the last I ever have to think of his name. And with no, because he's coming back on Dancing with the Stars All-Stars. Oh you know it's going to happen. Well, third time's the charm or something, and then he'll In be In ten gone. years. In ten years, it'll just be like... He'll haunt Sean's, us all. It'll be... A Dancing with the Stars made up entirely of ex-Trump administration officials. That's what'll happen. Literally, if Trump himself comes back, I would not be surprised. In another hauntingly neon puffy shirt. If he hasn't just, like, started drooling in a corner by then, (laughs) he's really breaking. I think impeachment might be the thing that... He's struggling, yeah. Uh, It's stressful. It's all stressful. I imagine it would be a little tough. So I think we can, there is no transition into what we're about to talk about, but we did reference it last week, and now there's a little bit of a story update. We mentioned how we wanted to talk about Amber Geiger, and that was the first week of October that she was sentenced, and then last week, and then in the last couple of weeks, there was another incident that was very similar to the situation with Botham Sean and Amber Geiger. And so I wanted to talk about that really quick and then we can uh, cover what happened with Amber as well. Yeah, I think we followed up on the uh, Amber Geiger story. Um, when we first mentioned it, it was right after one of the key witnesses uh, in her prosecution mm-hmm. was murdered. I don't think we followed up after that. I don't think we did. Uh, it turned out that that, in all likelihood, was a non starter. It sounds like it was some altercation where somebody else was wounded in the interplay. And I do know that there's some holes in that, but the other guy actually was hospitalized. So there is a record of him being but, injured. So just to just to recap what happened. So mm. Amber Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder of Botham Jean in early October. And one of the main witnesses in that case... Right. So... One of the key witnesses that the prosecution called was somebody who was a neighbor to both of them. Uh, She argued she had just come off duty. She's a police officer. She went into the wrong apartment. I think it corresponded with hers on a different floor. There was a bright red doormat in Botham Jean's apartment that uh, there were a number of indicators that this was not her home. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting on the couch watching TV, eating ice cream which is a notoriously threatening posture. (laughs) Um, And then she promptly shot at him twice, one of which landed uh, near his heart and killed him. Not immediately. Just adds a little, you know. It adds another layer to what happened. I I don't know what it adds, but it it just, it it adds some reality to the situation. But 
this neighbor who had testified against Amber Geiger and filled in a lot of the sounds. I think he was right next door to Botham Jean. His name was Joshua Brown. Yeah. And a few days after the sentencing, he was found with multiple gunshot wounds in a parking lot. Actually, four miles away from the apartment complex where Sean was killed. And mm-hmm. he was pronounced dead at the local hospital. And he was also going to be a witness in the upcoming civil trial against the police department to actually get the family some recovery beyond just a a sentence for Amber Geiger. I think the difficulty, even though it sounds like, in terms of coverage that I've heard, and again, we only know what we're told, but it sounds like it was an unrelated thing, given that the combatant with whom he was fighting was also injured, which makes me think that there was some interplay. Yeah, the initial report was extremely sketchy because they That's said that the problem. they said that he was killed in a dispute over drugs, mm-hmm. and three men from Louisiana had met him in Dallas for a drug purchase. But apparently, at the scene, a bunch of the drugs that were supposedly supposed to be swapped mm-hmm. were found, and it was just really. I remember like seeing a lot of people commenting on it and just being like, "Why would they?" drive that far for weed right and then leave it there it just it doesn't really make a lot of sense i think that my biggest takeaway which again is going to be really boring and less polarized um is that it's not impossible that that actually happened and we could get into why somebody would leave and we could even research why the laws in this state are different i have no idea but the biggest thing to me that will always cloud this and that definitely falls on the police department is that they did not recuse themselves from the investigation this should have been something that regardless of the specificity Mm -hmm. of what happened the optics are so bad and so tasteless that when other law enforcement agencies were actively offering to help out and the public was reciprocally calling for them to recuse themselves they still kept control of the investigation, and so we'll never know because they absolutely had a bias in mm-hmm. covering up whatever happened and in wanting this person gone and in some sort of, like, protecting their reputation and certainly protecting their pocketbook in any recovery that would have come from him testifying. So the arrogance and self-confidence of their status that comes yeah. from not removing themselves from the investigation to me is more telling yeah, and I, and I think we should keep an eye on this. There haven't been a lot of updates. I know a couple people were arrested in connection with it, but it was just, it was extremely, like, the timing was so sketchy, and the initial reporting, the way the police talked right. about it, like, right after it happened was just, it was so unbelievable, and so I think that it just seems off, and that's the, yeah. that's the best I can say about it, is, like, the right. facts don't seem to line up very well, and that, guess- that, could, that could just, that could be that... It was it was just a, a something gone wrong this way, but and we also got bored of covering it. At the end of the day, I think anything that comes their way, they made their bed, yeah, and enjoy sleeping in it. So yeah. any doubt that they're now shrouded with, are you? Are you really surprised, you guys? Yeah, really, like really. And it, his family, the family of Joshua Brown, want have asked for an independent investigation into the shooting, mm-hmm. and I think that you know, obviously, I think that's something that merited. needs to happen. Not only to make sure that there was n- that nothing 
that there was nothing corrupt going yeah, on. Right, right. But also, if they if they want to restore any kind, any semblance, absolutely of with trust their own community, in the police, yeah, they need to do this, and they need to have an independent investigation. And it is their job to serve this community. And you, you and I have talked about circling the wagons and how tribal a force that is. And this is the exact kind of thing. If there is nothing to hide, and if you know, courts being and DA's offices being an extension of the law enforcement community to some extent in mm-hmm. the the sense that you are enforcing the law, that this woman has been convicted mm-hmm. of murdering somebody and this other person happens to share the characteristic that a lot of people think played into both of John's victimization, which is yeah. his race, and he happened to testify against the police officer in that trial Seriously, you're still gonna after, yeah, days yeah. after he he was shot and killed. How are you still going to be diametrically opposed to what your community is asking of you when somebody did wrong? Yeah. So that was early in so sorry October, that was a tangent. That was, yeah. in, that was in Dallas, um, in Fort Worth on Saturday, October thirteenth. Uh, a woman, Atiana Jefferson, was killed. A 28 year old woman. She was in her mother's home. She was playing. I believe, yeah, she was playing a video game with her nephew, yeah. and they were up kind of late, and they were playing, and apparently her neighbor heard something coming from inside and called the police. The police went to go do a welfare check, and the police officer ended up shooting and killing a Tatiana Jefferson in her own home, and it obviously... So, first of all, Fort Worth and Dallas are obviously They share an airport. They, yeah, they're very close to each other. Yeah. And it just coming a week after Amber Geiger was sentenced, it's kind of still, it's obviously still a very fresh wound. And then no, the second, yeah. the second instance of a police officer killing a person of color in their own yeah. home. I think the issue with, with this officer is that he did not identify himself as a police officer. She reached for a gun that she owned legally, and the police department has conceded that she was well within her rights to be firing on him because he was an intruder in her home at night who did not identify himself. It's Of course. And if, yeah, if you don't identify yourself as a police officer and you are there and you're just a strange man in her home then. And also, the way they handled it after was problematic as well because they released a video, the video the body that cam. came from it, yeah. and kind of a fuzzy photo of the gun side by side almost to be like, look, scary, there was See? a gun, and like this is why. We were justified, yeah. But again, if you are in someone else's home and you don't announce yourself as an officer, and if this is a welfare check with a woman exactly, and a child, like, why are you? I don't why know, are the, you the going in their guns blazing? And it also it goes back to the fact that we have to better train our police officers mm-hmm. so that their first instinct is not shoot to kill, and their first instinct is not to de-escalate or to deal with the situation diplomatically. Especially when it's in somebody's own home and there's no other indication of that person being an aggressor except their very existence. Yeah. The Amber Geiger situation is is just weird and at another point it might be worth getting into the Castle Doctrine and how it was not extended that there's this r- rule in property law that is less embraced now in a lot of states but is very akin to the whole stand your ground sort of concept that if you're in your own domicile, a man's home and it's his castle and If he's in his own home, then he can shoot to kill, even if it's just protecting property, because obviously you assume that somebody's there to kill you. And the flip side of that being that we made almost the inverse argument in favor of that in the Tatiana Jefferson situation, that 
yes, there is some legitimacy to thinking that somebody in your own home can be there to hurt you, but it was really controversial that the judge allowed the Castle Doctrine to be used in the Geiger case because the glaring difference being it wasn't her own home. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> Uh, it that is getting a lot closer to stand your ground if somebody doesn't have to be in their own castle yeah. to exercise this doctrine. But for what it's worth, it was not ultimately extended to to protect her. Um, and it's it's worth saying that, you know, we talk all the time about being careful about the situations mm. where you call the police. The neighbor actually said he regretted calling the police but he, it's really but tricky he, yeah yeah because he was saying like, he was worried about his neighbors and he wanted just them to do a welfare check yeah. and then after he was just grief stricken by this and said i sh- i shouldn't have done this but and again like that it, line is so hard like when right. when are you because i think of myself and we live in new york city yeah and obviously it never fucking sleeps yeah and i'm somebody who's uh, you know i go to bed pretty early because i have to get up early to be in court and i also am pretty sensory sensitive and mm-hmm. so there have been times when you know, I'm not wearing a bra or underwear and it's cold outside, but I want them to be quiet. I don't want to send Ethan out because I think when it's men who are outside or making noise, yeah. they're more likely to get aggressive with another man yeah. than a woman. But then I'm faced with, well, at four in the morning, am I really, is this my duty to go out there or can I call someone to make them stop? But then I'm like, well, am I going to get them killed? And that's yeah. who the police are. Yeah. It's not the a force is of that safety. We don't ha- the problem is that the police are no longer, and for many people, they have never been someone you, yeah. can, you can feel safe to call. If you Obviously, call the police, in this situation, if it was a goddamn welfare check yeah. and they killed her. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's the fact that we have to weigh, is this situation dangerous enough where I... To value my own safety or my own Or someone else's safety. Or someone else. Yeah, you're weighing. You know, you're, you're weighing. Are they going to do their yeah, job? If we bring other people in here who their senses might be heightened, if they just come in guns blazing they might and be they more don't violent assess the situation. Than anyone else otherwise would be in the situation. And that's yeah. something you have to think about. And that's that not what our police force You're should be. You're ultimately not serving the yeah. greater good or any good. But it, I also think that because of how videos go viral, because of the fact that technology is to the point where people are, are learning to record police interactions, mm-hmm. we're just now in the last few years starting to figure this out whereas mm-hmm. a lot of communities have dealt with this as an issue for oh, a long time. I think communities time. of color have never felt safe around police. I think you know when you're a little exactly. white kid particularly a girl there was never any impulse to you're think that they that were the police anything are there for your protective. safety. Yeah if you're lost you go to a police officer and and that that difference is intrinsic and you think of what if a Tatiana Jefferson were a young white mother with her nephew yeah. Do you really think that would have ended that way? Even if she reached for her gun and this... Or if it did, like, how how would the response oh be Oh, my God, there you know would I mean? be massive fallout. I also think of, and I know you and I had a conversation about this uh, briefly during the debates, and it, it'll bring us to one of the questions that we got about gun policy, which we'll get to in a later episode from a listener. Because it's going to take a lot longer to break down yeah, and talk about and than I think we have tonight. Brooke and I, though we have the same end goal, have different predictions on how public opinion could go in terms of gun policy. But in any event, thinking that my sense is that the fact that this woman had a gun in the home, which is so often seen as like, oh, a good guy with a gun, or what if you just have it for protection? And this is the the quintessential circumstance that you would use a gun for protection. There's a strange man in your home, you're with your, you know, a child that you care about, and you are the protector, and they're not identified as a police officer. Of course you break your gun out, but... Time and time again, we see that a good guy with a gun, so to speak, 
does not protect. Okay, but both and, and John escalates. had an ice cream bowl. So well, I, I'm not saying that is, it's always you know I mean? the like, common denominator of negative, but I think that when we do see that it doesn't help protect, yeah, it's worth remembering that the presence of guns is more frequently something that escalates situations rather than de-escalates. And I think I that think. I think there's definitely truth in that, except for the fact that so many times when there have been these confrontations between police and citizens that have ended in a citizen's death they can say i thought they were pulling a gun and it's actually a slice of pizza right, or a candy right. bar or a wallet so it's a, and again I, that would be another example of it's not always the factor mm-hmm. that is is key and i don't know that it's always a good faith excuse but i do think that there are enough times even when race is not a factor and there's not this insane imbalance of power when there were those uh i'm trying to think <laughs> which shooting it was there was some shooting and i believe it was also in texas and there were people in a crowd in an outside space who were armed and it actually made it more difficult for first responders including law enforcement to be able to find the to gun figure out who the actual shooter right. was yeah so those things always make me think like all right so when does good guy with a gun actually work yeah. and just to just to caveat all of this we are mm-hmm. not in any way saying that Mm-mm. that it was no 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 not by any means b- because she had a, it I was just like, am putting it, it in a context of, of gun culture and how it, even what you and I have talked about before with a more um, militia minded protect citizens protecting themselves yeah. from the government you see that it's more often used as an excuse to for law enforcement and government to be violent and they're always going to have the upper hand in yeah. the sense of force and power and it's not like this woman or any person would be able to actually use it as an effective means of rebellion. Yeah. You know, but it, it, that's a bit of a tangent. So we so just want to... at least uh, the one got some justice in some sense. I know there was... Yeah, the, the cop in Tatiana's case resigned, but I think he he's should been, be tried. He's been charged with murder, I think, too. He has? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know. The last thing I saw that was, was that he resigned, but... Um, he resigned, and that was at least good. It was pretty prompt and... Um, the police department seemed to disavow his actions very swiftly. Because yeah, he had been put on administrative leave, and then he resigned, and then, yeah. It at least was in the span of 24 hours, and I think he was charged with murder, so we'll see where that one goes. To me, that is at least a sign that, at least more often than it used to happen. Maybe we're moving in the right direction. Maybe we're moving at toward least, holding At least if you're in the same metro area where another yeah. drastically... So, of course, our hearts go out to the families of Tatiana, Jefferson, and Botham Jean. And that's. Botham Jean's brother was so humblingly poised. Yeah, that was a really. But someone pointed out that. I don't think I could be that person. I I know I couldn't, but I I also know that someone pointed out the fact that he shouldn't have to be. You know, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. He shouldn't have to be the gracious. No, no, absolutely. And I don't think anybody expected that of him. And that's almost why it's so. And I think that of people who you know, have the murdered kid or, or the daughter hit by a drunk driver and they're yeah. like, I forgive them. And I go volunteer with drunk driver yeah. programs now. And you're like, oh my God, I would probably murder them. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that's, that's probably a choice that he made because it's a, it's a very it's self-knowing too. Yeah, yeah. choice to make. But it's just the fact, I, I think that like the way, I didn't like the way people initially reacted to that because it was so like, Look, if he can good forgive. for him, yeah, and it's like yeah, but he it was accessorized have a bit too. He shouldn't yeah. have to be put in this position where he's he he has to be the gracious. Kind I could see one. it being exploited as like 
now the community as a whole has to forgive because the individual who was suffering does whereas these things exist both for the individual and yeah. when they have such a cultural context it's also a community that's grieving yeah. and it's a community that's whose suffering is being illustrated once again mm -hmm. that it's not just this person who loses it's the entire yeah you know uh anyways it's an extremely hard so to flip to, to another about. uh ethnic minority who is being slaughtered. <laughs> Just no two ways about it. Uh, the Kurds. So, I don't, since last time, I believe you we were talking about there had Guess been... Guess what? It got worse. It got worse. There were, there were attacks on... Basically, after Trump pulled U.S. support from yeah. Syria, he wrote this letter saying you should be whatever, you should be... And he he said to Eric Dwan basically saying like don't be a tough guy do what's right. Uh, that didn't work because Come on, man. be chill, be chill, man. Uh, me because right now Kurds are being slaughtered and yeah, they're, they're sexually assaulted and you know you saw the bombed. photo of and I saw photos of kids. There was an activist who she's been active up until days ago, um, and she was pulled from a car. And are you looking for her name? She was pulled from her car and raped on camera and killed in the street, and her body was mutilated. Um, and again, this this underscores, let's not forget that the Kurds are, not that this is the be-all, end-all of when human rights attach, but they happen to be a very egalitarian, pro-intellectual, feminist society, and the fact that they're also discriminated against because they're an ethnic minority. I get being non-interventionist to some extent, but, you know, do you guys remember that the Holocaust was a big triggering factor in World War II when there is an oppressed group of people to whom we, our only lack of indebtedness is that we don't want to tangle with the Nazis. Um, mm. Yeah. Scoreboard. And it also happens to help out our allies, which is a self-interested move. It's not that that is a, a wholly selfless, we're sending our boys to get sacrificed for the Brits. Well, and there are some there positives are, that come back to us from having allies. We are also sending troops to protect Saudi oil yes. fields. And oh, we yes. are also, some of the soldiers who are being pulled out of Syria are being sent to Iraq. In fact, so the ones not, that we're not are bringing staying them in home. Syria, the ones that are staying in Syria are being diverted to oil fields in Syria. This so, is not about bringing troops home. This is not no. about anything except for the fact and that... And it's not about, like, oh, we're getting involved in the Middle East, like, mission accomplished sort of nonsense in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is not Bush administration sort of things. This is about, in a really consensus-brewing way, staying true to our allies, staying true to the promises that we make as a country because we have no international clout without that. So to and then to divert from that, it's about human rights and the fact that the Kurds have actively helped us fight ISIS and that human lives were not being lost by just U.S. troops, a small number of troops occupying and it's that not, area. It's not just about it's it's not just about the fact that there were a thousand troops physically there. It's it's the symbolism. When we right. pull those troops we are out, on the we're side saying of we're saying go absolutely. go after it. We're gonna we're 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 gonna be out of your way. We're gonna get out of your way. You mm -hmm. can have at it. And Trump it's had an those press conference after a phone call with this guy. After a phone call with Erdogan. Mm -hmm. And and there was a press conference this last this past week 
where Trump was talking about the Kurds and was saying, well, you know, there are no angels either. He compared the PKK, which is uh, a, a very a section of group. the, yeah. It's not but He compared them. He's, yeah, it's part of the Kurdish, the Kurdish militia, but it's kind of a smaller fringe group. He compared them to ISIS. He was talking about how. Held down the ISIS prisons. Exactly. And they helped us defeat ISIS. The opposite. <laughs> uh, but also he was talking about how the, the he when, the, when he was asked about and this was the, 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 that day, that week, Kurdish people were being slaughtered. Kurdish children were like being terrorized. Women, children, families. This is not a military sort this of thing. Is, this is terrorism. And it, and it has not been going on forever. We had successfully held it back just as they successfully helped us defeat the Islamic State. This is going somewhere. <laughs> and then Trump says in response to a question, well, you know, they've got a lot of sand over there. They have some sand to play with. And it's just... Oh, my God. It's the most dehumanizing rhetoric. He... Just the How way that he was you? talking about these people. And just as I'm seeing these quotes come up from Trump, I'm also on my Twitter feed seeing videos of ISIS members cutting off the heads of Kurdish soldiers after they've killed them. And I'm seeing photos of Kurdish children with their legs missing because mm. they, they've been hit with... A, with, with some kind of bomb shrapnel and it's right. just like he has no empathy at all no I, I honestly don't know that he's capable of that and there's no life experience that indicates that he would have developed that skill but I also think of the things that I've seen from not news outlets but actually saw somebody who was a service member saying I fought alongside these people my heart is breaking yeah and Trump is sending my son who now serves to Saudi Arabia so that he can put himself in harm's way there and my heart breaks for the Kurds we want to apparently be there the Saudis the are paying us for that yeah, by great. the way so it's now we're just in bed with everybody vile um but not doing the very little that it took to to keep the one moral bastion and again to to reiterate <laughs> this you can be against forever wars and be against America being the world's police and understand that it is completely dishonorable to leave people who are depending on us right. for safety with with you no warning. Just the things pull. That you're doing. You, you if you're gonna if you're gonna exit, you do it in a way mm-hmm. that's not gonna put them in harm's way, and that's gonna take a long time. You can't just do it overnight, but you can do that. Not necessarily even as long as we might have in our our mind's eye when we think mm-hmm. of something like that. Because number one, this is an alliance, and even the most self interested of parties recognizes that both local alliances, being the Kurds. And regional alliances being having a stronghold in the Middle East where we have ISIS prisons being run by another entity. Um, Europe being a lot closer and at a lot greater risk if ISIS loses control, let alone Turkey and Syria and Russia. And then there's also, you know, we have no international clout or right to human rights clout if we, in the middle of something pull out when we were losing virtually nothing mm-hmm. very few i i don't know the numbers but i and don't again, think human troops died or american troops died in this symbolic just existing yeah. with the kurds and i don't think that again this isn't about bringing troops home this isn't about no because being, being anti to forever war things. this is yeah. about the fact that trump got a call from erdogan and now is parroting lines it's like that it's the Erdogan first heard are the, in the interest of Erdogan and Russia and, and Assad and, and Iran. He's saying those things and ISIS. because that's who in, is in his ear right now. That's why he's and doing honestly, this. And honestly, it's who has the money. 
Yeah. It's who has the money and it's who has Trump's interest at heart. And he <laughs> just, he is attracted to strong men. We've seen it over and he over again. He loves it because he wants to be it. Uh, speaking <laughs> of people who are very attracted, attracted to strong, strong men. Oh my God. And to whom Brooke is a little bit physically attracted. It's fine. Oh, wow, you just outed me? Sorry. You outed me as a Sorry. Tulsi? Okay, so here's the thing, guys. Look, we can want to bang sometimes, people that we don't like as people. Sometimes your dumb brain... I did it with some of my exes. Just <laughs> is attracted to people that you're... That is... It's just... It's not a good idea. Like, I know you're terrible, but I do find you fuckable. It's fine. She I, is... I feel so much deep shit right now. Um, Tulsi's hot, guys. I don't know how to tell you this. You know, I don't know how wrong. to tell you this. Tulsi Gabbard, wrong. that's all. She's in better do shape I than I Do I agree with her platform? Like, do I agree with the fact that she seems to really not care about Assad's war crimes? No. I think beyond that, she kind of wants to be the next new hip plant for the Russian deep state operations. I don't think that's true. I honestly no. don't. I know that I know Hillary came out this week and said that there was that the Gabbard was a Russian asset or whatever. I mean, she actively is because Assad is a Russian asset. I think okay. I think there's a different. So I think and that she, also she is not concerned about Russian meddling. I think that she may un like subconsciously. Be, I think that she honestly does believe that she's like I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. She gonna may accidentally. Tulsi Gabbard. She may accidentally be like. I see what you mean. That she may not intentionally be like, hey, guys. Yeah, like, I don't think she's them. trying to, like, but they don't weasel her that. way into the situation. I don't know that I think Trump that started she out just, doing that either, though. Yeah, I think, you her, know? I think that she her beliefs just parallel with theirs, which is not better. It's just different. And I don't, so I don't want to I don't want to say that she like a, she's like it's an embedded like Russian asset. It's almost like you don't want to give her credit for having that much foresight. It's more that I just don't want to throw that around because it's, it's just a big accusation that someone is like a well, knowingly Russian asset that I don't just want to yeah. throw that around. You know I what will I mean? say that she has actively opposed the Magnitsky Act um, and she tried to smear Bill Browder who uh, uh, what's it called? I think his book is called Red Scare. It's about the the murder of a statesman by Putin's goons in prison and the Magnitsky Act was in response to that and in this guy's name because uh, nobody in the government was was allowing or was preventing these Russian statesmen and agents and politicians from coming back over here and just doing business and enjoying the benefits of interacting with the US even after murdering or torturing or violently suppressing um, anybody who questioned them who was yeah. affiliated with the country so she even though that was an act that enjoyed significant bipartisan support within the recent past, Tulsi Gabbard was against the Magnitsky Act and actually tried to smear Bill Browder, whose only role was advocating for Magnitsky and publicizing that story. She's an odd bird. Yeah. In favor I don't, of Putin. I don't in favor know. of these weird violent oligarchs yeah. and authoritarian no, regimes. Her, the, the way that she whitewashes Assad really bothers me you can't be blind to that like there's no i don't believe that she's stupid enough to just have heard of this person and latched on so tightly that now she won't hear anything negative she must know between that and putin with the magnitsky act i i don't think that she doesn't know so then you have to think even if it's willful ignorance yeah that's pretty willful and or ignorant and i don't know 
Okay, guys, so we got to anyway, wrap this episode up with that fun tale because... We'll segue from Tulsi to Tulsi, kind and just, of. First, we got to end this episode. The Tulsi um, tale will, will end, spoiler alert, it'll end pretty promptly next time because that's all that's she pretty did much all note say, <laughs> in the debate. But we'll, we'll get, we have some questions uh, from the debate to get to next, so... Um, so stay tuned as I edit frantically on my 24-hour flight to the Southern Hemisphere. Because to you, there will be a whole week between these. Yeah. To us, it'll be a matter of seconds. So, so see you on the flip side, close guys. Close your eyes and follow us uh, in the meantime. Yeah, you can follow me at BKE Rogers on Twitter and Brooke Angeline on Insta. You can follow Mackenzie at MKZJ Brennan on Instagram. And I'll post some hot pics of ruins. And forest. Mm, I like those ruins. Oh, yeah. some forest. Okay. I want some of that forest. And then on are. Twitter, if you want just like disjointed ramblings instead of ruins, um, I am get me to a nunnery, number two, not the word two. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, Love guys. Love you guys. Bye. See you later. Bye.